Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host today, Sam Carroll. Apologies, the, our two normal Everton writers, uh, Adam Jones is, is off on his Christmas jollies now. Still celebrating. <laughs> yeah, still celebrating for the weekend, and, and it's Phil Kirkbride's day off, so you've got to put up with me. Dave Prentice and Paul Wheelock, but settle in because it's a happy podcast. It's something we haven't been able to do much of over the last couple of months. Um, Everton obviously beat Chelsea at, at Goodison Park on Saturday night, and Preno, it, it just felt like that was the performance we needed, wasn't it? It, it was stripped down, it was back to basics, but that, that feel good factor now is, is back heading into a pretty testing run of games. It was, I mean, totally unexpected. I have to hold my hand up and say there is no way on God's earth I saw a clean sheet coming from that game. And uh, we spoke about it in the pre-podcast on Friday. Um, We were all a little bit apprehensive, I think it's fair to say. Uh, I'd gone for a 2-2 draw, and even that wasn't being particularly uh, optimistic. That was more hope rather than expectation. So it was, it was like, it was good to see flat back four again. You know, I've had enough of three at the back and I've said that so many times. Even if it means players playing out of position, it just looks better. It looks more solid. And it helps it when you have, you know, so a young lad like Ben Godfrey playing out of position, but playing so robust and, uh, you know, so, so solidly. I mean, to be fair, most of the back four played, uh, or back five, sorry, because Jordan Pickford was excellent, uh, played really, really well. Yeah, he mean a couple of little moments, but generally it was a really, really good, solid performance. And that's what we needed. Uh, you know, 72% possession, I think it was, Chelsea had, but did nothing with it. Uh, and that was down to how well we defended. So, yeah, it was back to basics a little bit. But having said that, you know, you look at the, the XG thing you see on match of the day, you know, the expected goals. Everton spectacularly out-expected goals, uh, Chelsea, whatever that phrase is. In other words, we might not have had that much possession, but what we did have, we were very, very creative and very, very positive with it. So, yeah, all in all, it was a really good performance, a really heartwarming result. And it does set us up, you know, so decently for what is, as you say, a really, really testing run of fixtures. And and as Preno says, I was in the the pub, excuse me, with a couple of my mates when when the team news got announced and we all just kind of turned to each other and said, you know, there's, there's no way we're not we're not getting the result here. You know, and no way of keeping a clean sheet. We've got four centre backs playing at the back. Um, was that a similar reaction for you, or, or, or did you have a little bit of confidence deep down? No, no, I didn't have much confidence. Just given the way we've been playing, and, and given and given the yeah the, the, the lineup, I was completely agree with Preno. Desperate to see us to go back to a back four, but had certain doubts over Mason Holgate playing at right back and. And even though Ben Godfrey's really impressed me, like, you know, at left back and he did well against Burnley, I thought this is another test when you're going up against players like Averts and Werner. But <clears throat> to be fair to Carlo, he's like, if we didn't need it already, it's better underlined that, you know. Recently, there's been a couple of times where you probably questioned some of his subs or some of his tactics, but he got it absolutely spot on. It was a, a real performance from a manager who'd been obviously drilled his, his team in, in the week leading up to the game. 
And you know what? He outwitted Frank Lampard because when they were on 17-game unbeaten run, you, you look at some of the strikers, the players they could bring off the bench. And, and as Premier rightly says, yeah, they, they hit the woodwork a couple of times with shots from distance. But apart from that, and maybe that time when Zoom had the shot from the Giroud knockdown, they didn't create too many chances. So, yeah, just testament to, to the manager and testament to the players for, for you know carrying out his instructions. But I was no, I wasn't confident before the game, but I'm certainly feeling a lot better after that now. Yeah. And Preno, we kind of we got so wrapped up in in and quite rightly so we got so wrapped up about you know Hammers and Allen and Decore coming in the summer that the Ben Godfrey not so much under the radar because you know we still spent a significant amount of money on him, but he could end up being the sign of the summer. He hasn't even played in his right position yet, and and I think he's pretty much been outstanding every time. And he got through in the deep end, didn't he, against Liverpool for his debut? And I thought again. Yeah playing left-back against that world-class kind of strike force that Chelsea have put together, and nothing seems to phase them. And for a young lad, the, the signs are promising, aren't they? Yeah, very much so. I'm just looking at the uh, at the appearances so far. And the, yeah, after that Liverpool debut, I think it was Southampton away where he looked a little bit ropey, to be honest. Um, and we thought, oh, well, maybe it's a bit much to ask him to play, you know, an unfamiliar position in the Premier League so soon into his Everton career. But he's exploded that argument because he's been excellent ever since. And you're right, you know, he's been asked to play in a different position virtually every week. And uh, it's just adapted to it. And he just keeps it absolutely simple. Um, I know his selection at the weekend was probably the right one for a, perform- a game like that because we expected yeah. Chelsea to come at us. We expected them to have a lot of possession. And so he just kept it nice and simple. You know, he didn't try to do what Lucas Dean would have been doing, which is like overlapping and, you know, sort of getting crosses in galore. He just kept it solid. He said, right, okay, you know, so my job here is to defend. I've got players in front of me that were going to create, you know, going to try and, you know, sort of take the ball forward. Um, I mean, it helps, of course, that, you know, we had Richarlison on that side who obviously works very, very hard anyway. Uh, but I just thought he was absolutely, you know, sort of personified Everson's approach uh, all day. He was absolutely switched on the whole game and helped enormously by Richarlison. Richarlison had a weird game, I thought. He was so frustrating at times and the things you expect him to do well, he didn't. He could have scored a couple of goals, uh, but didn't. You know, he, he snapped at a couple of, you know, better than half chances, really. Um, but his work defensively was magnificent. He did what Hamez doesn't do on the other side, you know, so he does yeah. get back and he tracks back and he helps out his defender. And it maybe it helped a little bit that that was the one game that Hamez missed. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a bit harsh there and that we were allowed to be a little bit more compact and a little bit more, you know, defensively resilient. Because Chelsea having, you know, like I said, gone 17 games unbeaten and battered everybody, um, looked like they couldn't really create anything. And that was testament to A, the setup that Carlo sent out there and B, the way that people within that uh, system performed. But yeah, Godfrey's looking great. I, I, I like more and more what I see of him. People talked about uh, having a right-footed centre-half playing left-back. And somebody pointed out, well, Pat Van Howe was right-footed. He was a very good centre-half. He didn't do too shabbily there. So uh, yeah, he's um really, really good performance. But then again, Everybody's performance at the weekend was very good. I loved uh, Adam's stats in the uh, in the in the paper. Was it nine out of ten for one player? Everybody else eight out of ten. And I thought, yeah, that's fair, that's fair enough because everybody else was excellent. It was a really good who team the, performance. Who was the nine? Was it Keane? Do you remember? I can't remember. I don't think it was. Um, might have been. Was it Alan? Maybe I can't remember now. But yeah, I know one player got nine. Everybody else got eight. Yeah. I, th- I think describing. Richarlison's performance as, as a weird one, Wheeler, probably applies to the 
the man on the other wing as well, Alex Awobi. He, he grafted yeah. and he worked hard and, and he was promising. But it, 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 I, I think, I don't know if it was, if it was you, Pedro, but so, someone on Twitter described his final ball as, as toe curling sometimes. That last delivery sometimes, isn't he, to, to, to take that next step almost? Yeah, it's it, it, toe curling, it is. And it was the same against Burnley, wasn't it? I remember it was creating a, a good opportunity from out wide in the final minutes of an injury time against Burnley and his his ball just lets him down and it's clearly an area he's got to improve. But but what I've been pleased with him, even last week and particularly on, on Saturday night, is desires there, isn't it? Because like as yeah. we need we need that. It was too long, certainly post lockdown. And you know, quite recently in a few games. It, it seems like they'd lost the focus or lost, not not efforts, but the, the, the kind of style that they were playing with at the start of the season. And it's not easy to get your form back, you know, when you've, you've gone on a, a run of one win in seven. So you've got to work to make your own look. And I think we did that on on, on Saturday and Awobi was like one of those, along with Sigurdsson, two players who's, <laughs> it's not effort again, it's not effort, but work rate or desire, which are questioned in the past. And they had it in spades on Saturday night. I think there's something there with Awobi, you know, like, We've got Arsenal fans on, you know, on the sports desk, and you know, there's a, and then someone like Josh Williams who does the Analyze Everton pod with uh, with Dave Hughes. They 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 think there's a player there. There's you know, they look at his numbers and they think there's something there. And I, and I do tend to agree about Awobi, but it, it, the quality's still not completely there. But if he plays like that, and like he plays like the way against Burnley in terms of the effort, I'll, I'll certainly stick with him. Put it that way. I just looked at by the way, and it was Phil Kirkbride who was doing them, not Adam. And it was Ben Godfrey who got the nine. Oh, okay. uh, everybody else got the eight, so Ben got the nine, and deservedly so, I would say. Yeah, it was a, a, a strange game again. Um, so much of what he did was good. He was always an outlet. He worked really hard. Uh, he was penetrating. But that final ball was, was like so frustrating so many times. Yeah. Uh, but then again, he wasn't alone in that. It was, it, was it him that played the ball across the... Was it... Dominic Calvert-Lewin could have given Ducure an absolute tap-in and yeah. tried to uh, go al- alone himself and ended up getting you know brought down for the penalty that wasn't. So, you know, all players make, you know, sort of dodgy decisions sometimes. But, yeah, the Roby seems to do it a bit more than most. And if he could just eradicate that and add that little bit of element to his game, there is a real player there because there is something. I know he does divide opinion, but there is something there, certainly. Well, what did you make, Prano, of the, the penalty <laughs> instance? It was... It, it didn't seem to be too much at the time, but the, the replay when Richarlison kind of almost went head to head with with Sigurdsson, it was a it, it was a weird one, wasn't? It? Because then as soon as he scored, Richarlison was over and smiling and celebrating with them. And I thought Sigurdsson done quite well after the game, played them down, and, and yeah. Ancelotti has done the same. Is but is that something you you obviously you don't want to see that between two teammates, do you? No, I mean, first things first, you've got to give absolute credit to Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who, again, didn't get a great deal to feed off in terms of service, but was just so good again. And he won that penalty entirely uh, with his uh, ability, with his work rate, with his desire. Um, He just basically won a ball he had no right to win and uh, invited the goalkeeper to come and clean him out. And so, you know, absolutely wonderful to actually win the penalty. And then, yeah, I thought we'd seen the back of uh, players taking balls off each other. (laughs) 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 When dear old Kevin Morales exited these shores. Um, So, I I don't know. Um, It's not something you want to see. But, yeah, I take Gilfie Sigurdsson's arguments afterwards when he said that, you know, it's a good thing (laughs) that so many players want to take penalties. I mean, Dominic Calvert-Lewin's a guy I'd like to see take one, given how spectacularly well he took that one for England uh, not that long ago. 
But, you know, so Gilfie is the man, you know, in possession. I have to say, I wasn't absolutely filled with confidence when he stepped up. You know, he has missed one or two. Uh, but wow, how cool was that? You yeah. know, just to absolutely, you know, give the keeper the eyes, look one way, not even look at the ball when you're stroking it into the opposite corner. That was wonderful. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I, I was pleased that, you know, Richarlison was told to go away. I'm pleased that equally, there seemed to be no fallout. You know, they were both, you know, sort of celebrating, you know, sort of well afterwards. It's one of those things. Yeah, it's good, I suppose. It is that players want that responsibility. And you've got a problem if you've got players looking at each other thinking, oh, I don't fancy it, I don't fancy it. If there's two or three, you're the two brilliant, you know, so, yeah, no, 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 no major problem, really. It feels like a product, doesn't it, Paul, more of Richarlison at the moment. He just seems desperate to score. And, and I think he was probably seeing the penalty as a, as a chance because, as Preno was saying, he's doing everything at the moment except putting the ball in the, in the back of the net on a on a regular basis, really, isn't he? He's had one of those seasons in front of in goal. Look, Saturday reminded me a lot of the Tottenham game, the first game. He worked so hard, and there was quite a lot of times where he cut in from that left, and his shots were either straight at Lloris or just wide. And you, you look back on on Saturday night, and a Richarlison with his, with his eye in, we should score two of the three. You know, there's no question about that. And you can see it's, it's clearly playing on his mind because. I love him. I love the fact that he plays on the edge. But hopefully, Carlo's had a little word after the game, after if he's seen that video, because you shouldn't really be going up to Sigurdsson, like, you know, kind of almost confronting him before he's supposed to be taking a penalty. But I do agree that it shows his desire and it shows his, his willingness just to try and get that goal. But I, we're just such a poorer team without him, even though he, he wasn't perfect on Saturday. He just brings us so much of a threat. And uh, it's, it's his work rate as well. You know, Godfrey. He, he puts so much work right in, in, in front of Godfrey. And I, there are parts of his games that he has to change. And, you know, he looks back retrospectively and his, his tackle on Thiago in the derby, it, it cost him and it cost us. And there's nothing wrong with playing on the edge. But he's only young. But hopefully, you know, over these next couple of years, playing under a manager like Carlo Ancelotti will kind of, you know, brush out some of those rough edges. But, yeah, he needs a goal, doesn't he? He needs a goal, but he's playing well. He's playing well, and yeah, I'm sure I, 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 I think that incident also underlined the strength of character that Gilfie Sigurdsson has, which yeah. I was pleased to see. He was a skipper on the day, and not everybody, you know, sort of agrees with that. But other players could quite easily have absolved that responsibility. Now I'm thinking back to you know Leighton Baines, who's one of the best penalty takers we've had at the club for a long time. He missed that one at Old Trafford and was never quite the same afterwards and was only too keen to give up responsibilities to Romelu Lukaku. And I know he used the excuse that, you know, Lukaku's a striker. I want to see him, you know, sort of develop confidence by scoring goals. But equally, I think back then, Baines' confidence was sh- shaken just a little by that yeah. miss and was a little bit, you know, so content to give up responsibility. Sigurdsson has also missed penalties for Everton, but he wasn't. He was like, no, I'm having it, you know, so it's my job. So fair play to him. I was pleased with that. Where do we kind of go from here then, isn't it? We, we put ourselves, you know, firmly in, in, in the race, in, in contention, and it's it's where we want to be. So this Leicester game suddenly has a, a fair bit of importance attached to it, doesn't it, Preno? I know it's early days, and look, if we don't win, it's certainly not the end of the world, but a, a win could, could send them a, a big statement, couldn't it, this week? Oh, wow, yeah, it's a really tough game. Uh, I mean, it's a really tough run of fixtures coming up, to be perfectly honest. Uh, but in many respects, it's a similar kind of game uh, to the one on Saturday. And, yeah. you know, so Leicester are a very good counter-attacking team. They've got loads of great pace up top. So if we go with a similar setup, um, you know, so keep it robust, keep it tight, keep it compact, that might suit us, to be honest. And, you know, so just don't give 
Leicester the opportunity to try and pick us off on the counter, you know, to use Vardy's pace over the top. Much depends, of course, on the fitness and the recovery levels of the players who are involved because, I mean, Carlo said you can't use the same group of players, you know, in all of these fixtures because the they're so concertina together. I mean, everyone's seen that league table. Everton have actually got the worst recovery times of anybody mm. in the Premier League in these games in December. Guess who's got the best? Oh, yeah, it's Liverpool. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Jurgen Klopp's been complaining all the time, which is why we never got a penalty against them. Week. That's a different argument. <laughs> Stonewall penalty, wasn't it? How did they not get that game against them? But anyway, that, that's by the way. Um, so I think Carlo does have to think you know, long and hard about his selection. And I'm thinking Richarlison, you know, he put so much into that performance at the weekend. Can he play again so soon afterwards? He probably will uh, because he is just so desperate to, uh, to succeed. But not everybody will be able to. So Carlo's going to have to think long and hard uh, about who he does send out. The good thing is the back four, because the fullbacks aren't bombing on and they aren't like sort of charging forward as much as maybe Seamus Coleman and Luca Dean will be. So it should be okay to play again. That's important. I think you need that consistency at the back. And they played so well, they kept a clean sheet. So why would you change that part of the team? Uh, it's yeah. further forward, you know, the other elements that maybe you need to think about. And of course, Carl Lewin himself. I mean, Carlo has said, I can't play him in every single game. He does need a rest at some stage. So quite when that will be, I don't know, but we'll miss him. Because you know, Cheng Tosin, despite what he offers, <laughs> isn't quite the same striker, uh, type of striker, I'm afraid. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That, that segues onto what I was coming on to next quite nicely. Print out that... I'll stick with you and move on to Wheeler. But the next five matches is Leicester on Wednesday, then it's Arsenal at home Saturday, Man United in the Cup on the Wednesday, Sheffield United away on the Saturday, and then Man City at home wow. uh, on, the, on the Monday. That's our last game of, of 2020. Where, Preno, is that rest coming for Carver-Lewin? If you put yourself in, in Carlo's shoes, it just doesn't... Can he last until Boxing Day against Sheffield United? Wow, no, probably not. He, he, he will say he can. Uh, and, you know, the, the thing that worries me is he had that little hamstring issue at the start of the season, didn't he? The, you know, yeah. was, was being managed. And touch wood, that seems to be completely over now because he, he's so important to us. So he does have to be managed very, very carefully. Uh, I hope to God it's not the Man United game because, you know, to me, that is so important. You know, a cup quarter final at home against a team who can be good, they can be woeful, we just don't know. Um, so I'd like to see us go as strong as possible in that game. Possibly Arsenal. I mean, Arsenal have been so poor this season that you know normally any kind of visit of Arsenal, you don't think of that as being you know a, a, a could win fixture or a should win fixture. Sorry, uh, but in this season it probably is because you know despite the quality of player at Mikel Arteta's disposal, they do have issues this season. They're not playing particularly well at all. So maybe that's the game where he could, you know, sort of just sit out and have a little bit of a break. I don't know. Um, obviously, they use sports science incredibly and they can monitor, you know, when players are more likely 
uh, to pick up injuries and when muscles are becoming tired. And we're seeing players falling like nine pins everywhere this season. You know, the, the lack of a proper preseason does seem to have affected players' fitness incredibly. And so they'll be aware of all those numbers and all those stats. And, you know, we'll find out on Wednesday. But looking ahead, possibly Arsenal, possibly Arsenal. That's the one where I think maybe, um, you know, Cenk Tosin might come in and give, you know, Dominic a, a lift up. I don't know, you know, so if things go well on a Wednesday night and we can, you know, find ourselves tuning up with half an hour to go, you know, just, just give them an hour. You know, yeah. uh, that's wishful thinking. What, what about you, Willow? Well, I've just been looking at the fixtures, Dan. It's very difficult, isn't it? Because after that win at the weekend, you want to continue the momentum and the kind of my heart's telling me that Wednesday, let's go and have a go at Leicester because even though they're clearly a good side and they, they won't come to me last night, yeah, I think if you look at the home record this year, I think they've lost to West Ham at home, and they've lost to Aston Villa, and they've lost to Fulham. So there's something there, isn't there? You know, the fact that they are a classic counter-attacking side, and I think they've won every away game bar the one at Liverpool, and they just didn't turn up at all. So it kind of makes me think maybe we could get something there if we played the, the same way, as Preno says, as we did against Chelsea. Bang in there, and then hit them on the counter. I just wonder if there's something there for us. But if I was looking at those games, probably the two... I would make changes for our Wednesday, uh, despite everything I've just said then. And then maybe the Sheffield United one on, or maybe, sorry, the Man City game on on, on the Monday, because I just feel like if we go full strength at Sheffield United on the Boxing Day, the way they're playing at the moment, we could go and get three points there. But I'm, I'm with Preno. The big game in all of this, we obviously want to be as close to the top four, as close to the top six as possible. And, and the great thing is, after that bad run we've had, uh, we're still on, like, you know, I think it's, it's five points off the top now and, and four behind Leicester in third. So it shows what a couple of wins or a win or a point, four points out of six can do. The big game for me is the United one because uh, there's a real tangible chance of winning a trophy this year in this competition. And yeah, United, yeah. even though I don't think they're as bad as some people make out, they're certainly not the United of, of, of yesteryear. So I think that's the game I'm with, and I'm hoping. If he has to make changes, if he has to rest plays, it comes against Leicester or Arsenal and then we go full strength against United because I think with 2,000 fans back that night and, you know, chance to see the side against the semi-final, that's that's the big one. There's, there's plenty more games to go in the league, you know, to pick up points again. That's that's the one for me coming up the week on Wednesday. I have, I have to say, you know, if you're going to go on to this later, Sam, but I was very, very pleasantly surprised by the atmosphere generated by those 2,000 supporters <laughs> because I was a little bit sceptical about you know their return. We spoke about it last week and I said, well, okay, it's a tentative baby step in the right direction, but they're not really going to make that much difference. Uh, the players are being used to an eerily empty atmosphere. Maybe you know a few fans back in there will just improve that a little bit. But it improved it spectacularly, I thought. You know, the players did react to it. You know, so they were aware that there were fans there, you know, who were cheering them on. You could hear them. Uh, so yeah, maybe it will make a bit more of a difference than we think uh, in that cup tie. Uh, but it was it was good to see, and I have to say, yeah, I was very pleasantly surprised uh, by you know the dynamic that those few supporters created. I, I, I was gonna, I was saving that that bit for for the end, but we we, we might as well kind of go on to it now. We though neither of neither of you were there, were you? Anyone looking? No, no, didn't get yeah, it. Not, not got the Arsenal one either. So fingers crossed for for City or United next week. But as Preno said, and. I was speaking to Michael Ball before his, his column earlier. It, it it did genuinely feel like the fans made a difference, didn't they? And it might have been a case of on, on in an empty stadium, does, does our nerve go a little bit? And, and the Chelsea get a late equaliser? It's all ifs and buts. And I know that Carlo spoke to Phil Kirkbride last week and 
he said he thinks if fans were in, in Goodison, certainly for the Leeds game, for the Man United game, he thinks the results would have been totally different. And okay, it's all hindsight and, and ifs and buts, but you, you've got to think we will be one of the main teams to to benefit from fans returning because Goodison is still quite compact and quite narrow, and, and I think two thousand fans will still be able to make a difference, won't they? Well, massively. You look at look at the other games over the weekend in, in, in kind of compact and narrow grounds and atmospheric grounds from Palace versus Tottenham and Fulham versus Liverpool. You're not telling me in those that first half of Fulham, the second half of Palace, that the fans didn't help their their teams as well. Like, you know, I, I think did, did Carlos say after the game, or he told the club, didn't he, that he felt the two thousand it felt like there were more like twenty thousand in there again and it was yeah, I I, I had I kind of it's when I'm back at the ground and there's 40,000 there that I felt, I'd feel I would be really emotional about it and really think, God, this is back now. But, you know, like when Adam was putting videos out on uh, on his Twitter account, wasn't he, before the game, with the siren, and then after it when, uh, you know, the players were clapping to Gladys Street. It, it, it really kit home kind of thing. And I'm hoping Everton are not one of these clubs who don't uh, look after their fans. You know, you can tell that how they've, they've treated us throughout, uh, throughout this kind of pandemic. But, like, it should really reinforce to the Premier League and the clubs, certainly when it comes to ticket prices and stuff like that, that it's that cliche, but it's a true cliche. Football is nothing without fans. Like just from a viewer's experience, even watching like Palace and uh, Fulham games yesterday, which have not really got any interest in, in terms of support and wise, the much better spectacle just because you can hear fans there, you know. And I'm sure it must it must affect the players in, in, in good in, in good and potentially bad ways as well. Like, you know, if you're an away team and you're feeling under the cosh at times and like the, the supporters making the noise, yeah, it was, it was a real eye-opener for me at the weekend. Are you, are you looking forward to, to getting back in there, Preno? Goodison Park has obviously been such a big and regular part of your life and and seeing the supporters in there, are you keen to, to get in the ballots? As, oh, as I, I, I can't wait. But like I said on Friday, match day is such uh, an all-embracing experience. There's so much about match day. Um, it's about parking the car up and you know, so walking, you know, so in the streets which are packed full of supporters. It's you know the hot dog sellers, the guys selling all the merchandise, all that kind of stuff. It's going up to St Luke's Church and going looking at the stalls upstairs and seeing the uh, the old programs and the pictures and that. And then it's going into the stadium itself, you know, which is like just such an experience. So. So many of those elements are going to be absent, certainly for a while yet, you know, so maybe until next season. Uh, but just that experience of being inside a football ground and being surrounded, not surrounded, but, you know, having like-minded individuals within just about touching distance of you. Uh, yeah, I, I just can't wait. I feel a little bit cheated in many respects because yeah. we're, count- we're counting down now. Uh, to the end of Goodison Park. Um, you know, it's such a special place. You speak to so many football fans uh, around the country. They all love Goodison because it's a proper football ground. It's different. Uh, it's, you know, it's surrounded by Victorian streets. It's got a church in the corner, for God's sake. No pun intended. It's a proper character-filled football ground, unlike so many um, in, in football these days. And so people love it. And so, yeah, we've got, only a finite number of uh, visits back there now. And, uh, you know, we're counting them down. I think I put something out at the start of the season uh, before we knew what was going to come, saying, uh, oh, well, I only have, you know, so another, however many counted it, you know, like 100 possible visits, you know, to come to this stadium. And people thought, oh, my God, what's up? Are you seriously ill? <laughs> it, was, uh, it was like, no, because we're counting down, you know, so to the end of Goodison Park. So, so many of those opportunities of being in that wonderful, special place have now been taken away from us. So, 
the, the quicker we can get back in there, you know, the quicker we can actually experience that wonderful special place before we move on to the uh, to the dock the better so yeah i can't wait genuinely can't wait quite when that will be i don't know but you know uh it's march now since i last went in there the united game so yeah i, I dearly miss the place i really do i, I was saying to, to my mum and dad the other day we love that some of my best moments as a kid is, is, is zach goodison the, the ferguson goal against united no five the leon osmond anyone remember the leon osmond portsmouth remember that the last minute yeah, so, yeah. That, that was that was one that always sticks out. Lee Carsley against Birmingham, you know, not even massive. You know, we'll always have Fiorentina and Lukaku against Chelsea, but it, it is as Preno says, isn't it? It's, it's those kind of special moments like that, that that do stand out here. And obviously, as a as a dad with a young lad yourself, you must you must be pretty keen to to get back in there with Thomas before obviously it's it, it, it's it's no more. Yeah, massively, mate. Like we're getting put in for the ballot so far, but being unsuccessful. But he was up till eleven o'clock on Saturday night watching it, and it is it's that shared experience, isn't it? It gives like oh, going too deep, it gives value to your life, doesn't it? Like I've I've certainly struggled these last nine months watching football because you feel disconnected to it, you know, because it's just just not the same watching it from home in an empty ground, and particularly with everything that's been going on with VAR and stuff like that as well. It, it just on Saturday, it felt right again. It just felt, even though it was not full and it's not properly right, it just felt right watching it and then seeing like the, seeing the just seeing the difference the supporters can can make to to a team because that that wasn't the same team that played against United, was it? You know, I know we were, we were set up differently, but they they played with an intensity and desire that they've not been showing in recent weeks. So yeah, as much credit as we give to the players and Carlo, I think it just from the lines, yeah the importance of our supporters, particularly in supporters generally. But yeah, I just can't wait to get back, mate. I'm just, uh, I say, missed out on the Arsenal game today, but I think we find out tomorrow if we get the City tickets and put in the United. So just, yeah, that United one, I'd love to be there. I think it'd be a great night if we can get back for that one. Something else that I was, I was talking about with, with Paulie this afternoon, John Joe Kenny kind of came on for the, for the last few minutes of, of the Chelsea game and, I mean, as, as a young lad, you know, we all want to see young scouse lads, you know, do well, don't we? But in, in the last few weeks, I think he's seen Awobi play right back. He's seen Holgate play right back. I think Tom Davies has played right back. What what, what kind of, it must be tough for him as a young lad who's, who's just basically played every game for Schalke to, to have came back in and, and not really be get, getting a sniff. I think it, it, it's quite clear at the moment that Carlo maybe just doesn't fancy him. Yeah, I mean, we, we spoke about John Joe in the podcast at Sale Ender last week, and we all effectively wrote off his Everton career by saying that you know, Carlo clearly doesn't fancy him. Uh, you saw something in that Newcastle game that he didn't like from John Joe on one side and Nkonku on the other, because neither of them have figured you know, at all since. And so we suggested that by playing so many other players in that position, instead of a an actually proper right back, a man who plays uh, you know the week in, week out as his regular position, the writing almost appeared to be on the wall. So it was a real surprise to see him involved at the weekend uh, and to bring him on as well. I know it was only for a couple of minutes, but suggest that, well, maybe we were just jumping the gun a little bit. You know, so maybe um, Carlo does intend to use him. Why he hasn't, I don't know. Uh, but the fact that he's brought him on, I, I always think that when a manager, you know, so sort of brings a couple of players on, you know, sort of towards the end of the game, obviously it was a, a bit of a spoiling tactic, you know, to try and break up the game at the weekend. But also, I think it just integrates players again because he's got the intention of using them you know again in the near future if you bring a player on for five or ten minutes you're giving him a little bit of a taste of it because you intend to use him again so it looks to me like possibly he does intend to use uh, john joe kenny 
Whether that'll be on Wednesday, I don't know. Uh, he doesn't have great memories of Leicester City, if I recall. Uh, he played uh, was it a year or two ago and didn't have one of his best performances, so maybe a couple of ghosts uh, to, to lay to rest in that one. But yeah, you know, his, his Everson future seems to have been suddenly revived again. Uh, <laughs> you know, so being brought in out of nowhere. So who knows? Um, you know, I, I, I quite... I was, I was pleased with the back four's defense, uh, performance at the weekend, like I say. And I know that meant, you know, sort of two central defenders effectively playing out of position, but they both played very, very well. So as I said earlier, I wouldn't change the back four. I would keep the back four as is and just let that consistency go into the game. But the fact that John Joe Kenny was brought on suggests that, you know, no, maybe there is a, a little bit of ray of light at the end of the tunnel for him. What, what, what would you think and be, Wheelow, if, you know, the January window now around the corner, if, if an offer for... John Joe, and, and probably put Nkunku in this bracket as well, you know, with a loan move. Would, would you think it would probably be beneficial for Everton if, if they got a reasonable offer for John Joe or a reasonable loan offer for Nkunku to send them out and, and, and maybe catch in on John Joe? Or do you think with how compressed this season is, do we need to kind of only look to add in, in the winter window and make sure, you know, we've got a bulky squad? We've got to add because you know the amount of games we're playing in this short congested time, uh, period of time. But I think a lot of that will be to do with John Joe, and I and I just wonder the fact that he went away for a year and did really well with Schalke, and he's he's an Evertonian, he's an academy you know graduate. I'm sure he's absolutely desperate to to make his mark at Everton, but I wonder if in January between now and then he's, he's still only coming on as a substitute at best, uh, and an offer comes his way, he may consider it because. He's not a kid anymore. He's still very young, isn't he? But he's not a kid anymore. And I say he's had that taste of that high level of football. And I, I'm sure the player will know himself or feel it himself if he doesn't think that Carlo likes him. And the, the big question is, we've got a the club captain there, stalwart, you know, an absolutely one of the best right backs the club's ever had, and Seamus Seamus Coleman. We've got we've got to find a, a long term replacement for him. And if it isn't going to be John Joe, if if Carlo and Marcel Brands don't think it's going to be John Joe. It, it may be best for him personally to move on. Whether it's good for Everton, I'm not sure because you know he only takes a couple of injuries and he could well get a chance. But reading between the lines, it looks like Carlo doesn't fancy him, and I, I feel for John Joe in that respect because I don't think he's had that fair crack of a whip. But Carlo knows better than me, and if he if he's seen something in training or that Newcastle game, it, it looks like a tough break for him. He's 23, isn't he? And by that age, you should be, you know, pretty much in a squad, you know, regularly if you're going to have a future at a football club. And the fact that he isn't, yeah, it does suggest that the writing is on the wall. Um, I, I do think he has had a number of opportunities, not recently, and certainly not under Carlo, that's for sure. Uh, but you know, before he went to Germany, he had you know a reasonable run, and you feel a bit harsh, you know, judging him on that. But modern football is such an unforgiving environment, certainly at Premier League level. Seamus Coleman has been so good for us and so special. Uh, and John Joe's not quite, you know, so at that level, I'm afraid, you know, with all elements of his game. So, you know, maybe Carlos shares that view and he thinks that, you know, that, that's, he needs to look elsewhere. We don't know, you know, simple fact of the matter. But for me, 23 years old is an age where you should really be there or thereabouts, you know, so if you're going to have a long-term future at a football club. Well, lads, thank you very much for, for joining us today. And hopefully we're, it was really nice to talk about the win, wasn't it? Feel, it feels good. <laughs> hopefully yeah, it's it's yeah, yeah. Yeah. Time flies when you're having fun anyway. And hopefully we come back together at the end of the week. And we're talking about another win and, and another happy podcast. Thank you so much. If you've tuned in, thank you for listening. Uh, you can always get in touch with us on, on Twitter and Facebook. 
if you've got any questions to, to ask or anything like that. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.